Hey, everybody. Before we start this week's show, I just want to say that Adrian and I realized after we recorded the intro that we had our episode numbers wrong. The episode that we watched last week was episode eight. This week, it's episode nine. In the intro, you will hear that we screw that up. But rest assured, you are about to listen to a conversation about episode nine, not episode 10, as the intro would tend to make it sound like. We are so sorry. Please forgive. Okay, here's the show. You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. From WALT-FM, you're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A companion podcast for the show Six Feet Under. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Do you listen to the show? <laughs> I, I don't. I never listen to anything that I'm in. That's fair. I don't, I don't either. Except the hundreds of hours that I spend editing it. And yes, That's listener, believe it or not, this show is edited. It is. Yeah. We take out the best parts. Mm-hmm. Save those just for us. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we, um, we re-rehearse jokes. <laughs> <laughs> And make them sound more off the cuff than they actually are, because both of us are trained actors, so don't believe anything you hear, listener. No, no, believe nothing. Believe nothing. This Except is all, for that that is true. This is all elaborately scripted. Mm-hmm. And when I say elaborately, I mean I wrote it with a fountain pen. I know, Sam has kind of an issue. Okay, let's recap episode nine quickly. Okay, I remember that it started with Nate taking the board test, or the funeral director's test, and I think he failed it. We don't know yet. He he says he choked. Oh, Claire goes into the mountains. Yes. She like makes some weird friendship. I don't know how I feel about all of that. That is, this is a rare instance of a development that I actually do remember. Mm. And there's more to come on that. So stop bragging. <laughs> stay tuned. Claire might have a friend because it kind of seems that at this point, Claire doesn't have friends. Yeah, I was going to say, she'd be the first one in the family. <laughs> she would be really the first one in the family because... Except Ruth, I guess. Except for Ruth. Also, the thing we didn't talk about last time is Ruth's heavy indulgence in romances that, like, she doesn't have sitting in her lap. And I mean that literally. So she, like, she's hanging out with Hiram. Yes. Right? That's his name. And she all of a sudden starts fantasizing having sex with the her Russian boss. But then when she's at work with the Russian boss, she's like fantasizing about Hiram. So it's like, Ruth, what reality are you living in right now? That's really all we got into her. Part of me is like, girl, have a rotation. Like, you live your life. But do you do you think this is the first time Ruth has even allowed herself to indulge in the fantasy yeah, of the- Gaining satisfaction, perhaps, from multiple partners. That's a great point. That's a great point. I want Ruth to get it. Like, I, think Ruth I want is her to come right by so many different dicks or vaginas or nondescript. I just want her to have, like, a really great sex life because it doesn't seem like she's been properly laid in a while, which is why she had an affair. She needs, like, an ocean of orgasms. I agree. I share this wish for Ruth. Yeah. I hope that that continues to be the direction that her story takes. Yeah. Although... Um, 
if memory serves. Well, I won't say anything about that. I remember anything. I have a photographic memory. You don't. Except that I mostly forget the plot of the show. Mm-hmm. But I remember mm-hmm. images, certain mm-hmm. images. Mm-hmm. For example, like at one point, Adrian Bain. Mm-hmm. W- this is this is a thing I remembered when we were watching the last episode. I remembered that there was a shot where we saw Nikolai with like a sword in a fez. That's so. And. Yeah. I remembered when he walked on the screen the first time, like, oh, at some point we see him with a sword and a fez. Hmm. And I could not for the life of me remember why that happened. And now I do it because Ruth is having a sexual fantasy about him Mm. while she's watching a reality show with Mm. Hiram. Can you say sexual fantasy every time you're trying to seduce me? Are you sure you want to bring that on yourself? Because you know that I will stick to that bit. Sexual fantasies. Yep, it's Adrian. doing it for me. All right, we should probably watch the episode. <laughs> Wait, I have one more question. Okay. It's a little random, but as a veteran of professional food service, mm. do you buy that Hiram is a trained chef? I don't think we've seen like real evidence of it other than one like off the cuff. Should we throw sesame seeds in it? Like it was a weak line. That's true. So I don't know. It almost seems like the show is trying, like the show established that as canon, and now they're like, ugh, now we got to keep finding ways of reminding the viewers that, oh, by the way, Hiram's a chef, but it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. So we'll just have him mention sesame seeds. Oh, right. And he does like the jerk chicken stuff. Right. I guess it's fine. Maybe it's his love language. That's my love language. I don't really make people gifts. I just bake them food. Oh. Like baked goods. And it's good food. Thanks, honey. Can you say fish heads don't follow them there cinnamon buns with blueberries i've been told that is that is what is in my future on this very saturday did we actually talk about that or am i trying to say it into the microphone and then hold you to it well now i'm just completely pigeon held only if you say sexual fantasy to me every night as i'm trying to fall asleep <laughs> that would help you go to sleep <laughs> No. Or would it make you want to sleep in a different apartment? Mm. Don't we answer. We should probably that. T- start the show. Let's watch the show. You know what I find interesting? If you lose a spouse, you're called a widow or a widower. If you're a child and you lose your parents, then you're an orphan. But what's the word to describe a parent who loses a child? I guess that's just too fucking awful to even have a name. My God, what an episode. an emotional whiplash we just went through. We really did. That was a... That was a lot of an episode. In the beginning, obviously, we don't see Gabe's little brother in the aftermath of his death. Mm. But I have noticed very frequently in the cold opens, maybe ever since the guy who dies in the pool in like the second episode, Mm -hmm. we actually don't see the person in the immediate aftermath of their death. The camera angles usually focus on the reaction of the other people who are present or who Mm -hmm. discover the body. Yeah. And 
obviously it's a show about death, so it makes more sense. And the people who survive and how they remember the people who died. So that makes a certain amount of sense. But I found it particular, in, particularly interesting in this episode because so much of this episode was about will Nate actually come to terms with the fact that he is one day going to die? Mm-hmm. Brenda's supposedly super comfortable with the fact that she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And do you think they leaned into that harder in this one? Even though Nate is surrounded by death, he has not verbally acknowledged that, yes, I too someday shall die. I think that's a conversation that most of us avoid until the moment that it's happening. Yes. And that's my plan. I think that cool, 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 cool. Good to know that you are not emotionally equipped for. No, I'm like super hard, hardcore. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> you goof. Can you tell from my monosyllabic answers? Oh my God. I mean, I guess it's really the first time that it's that the subject of any of the characters' deaths mm-hmm. has come to the table. I don't think that they leaned hard into it in a way where I'm like, oh my God, you're hitting me over the head with this. I get it. You know, like, I mean, obviously Brenda was a little bit, but that's just like her MO, which is fine. I actually really enjoyed Brenda in this episode. Brenda was on point. She was in pretty this on point because she does have this weird emotional detachment to like death happens and it's coming for all of us. But also maybe Brenda is living her best life and she's not riddled with regrets of what she didn't didn't do. You know? Like for whatever reason she's feeling pretty fine with the with the way things are going. So I don't know. And Nate we know is not happy with his job. He finds it extremely difficult. So maybe she just has a little bit more peace of mind. A couple interesting things I thought about Brenda in this episode. Well, wait, first, before we move off this thing about the reactions mm. to the deaths in the cold opens, I think I have figured out just sitting here now why I like the fact that we stay with the people who find the bodies rather than the dead people themselves. Mm-hmm. Is because I almost feel like the question the show is positing is which is more horrifying to have your life end or to be confronted with the death of someone you care about and oh my God. to have to outlive them. This is making me nauseous. And this actually does tie back to Brenda. In this episode, we're asked that question in the most visceral way yet because it's the most upsetting death so far, this yeah. six-year-old boy. It, it truly is. Like, And Brenda says, we don't even have a word for this. I know. I really loved that moment. I thought that was such a good point. That was good writing. That was really good. Speaking of good writing, mm-hmm. we have talked in the past a few times We've about... never spoken before. Keep going. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Hi. We've talked in the past about some of the writing occasionally being a bit on the nasal passage for your taste and for mine, mm. truthfully, as well. Something I thought was extremely understated in this was how much we learn about Gabe's family life without hearing anything specific. Mm-hmm. Right up until the very end of the episode. To wit, he is the one who went to the funeral went to the morgue and got that piece of paperwork about his brother and has to give it to Nate when they first drop off his brother's body. Mm-hmm. It was I think clear it that it just keeps him in the doorway longer. 
For Claire to see him. It does, but it also suggests that he's the one who had to, he had to do the hard part. Yeah, that's probably true. And then also when Claire comes out to say hello to him, he says, I have to go. My mom needs me to unlock the car. Yeah. As in like, she cannot handle this right now. Now, admittedly, she has just lost her six-year-old son. But it seems like there is a lot of stuff that Gabe has to do on his own. The death happens because he's there taking care of his brother by himself. Yeah. I also had the question until very late in the show, why is there a gun under the bed? You know, I didn't question that. Really? Yeah. There's a disgusting statistic. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but like the percentage of gun accidents that are actually children playing with guns is so it's such a huge percentage it's it's so disturbing so i wasn't surprised by it yes that doesn't that doesn't surprise me i just meant it more as evidence that things at gabe's house are fraught yeah there's a need for a gun under a bed well the the dad or his stepdad the little boy's dad was the one who left the gun yes but we don't know that until the The very very end end of the episode i didn't question it though i guess i just thought it was a nice way of like we know that gabe is angsty because Uh we've met him before Uh but i liked that they found these kind of subtle ways of indicating the layers of what's going on with him that lead to his angst Mm -hmm. another little thing that they Mm -hmm. tease us with that we don't end up knowing the reason for until later is Gabe's last name is Demas, but we see in the caption at the beginning after the brother dies that his last name is Finelli. So they have different last names. Mm-hmm. And that already suggests, okay, this is a this is a more nuanced family than mm-hmm. it might seem or one might assume. I just liked that sort of less is more approach to unspooling sure don't tell. who Gabe is, which the show is not always good at, as we have discussed. Right. On a lighter note, we started this out by talking about how Ruth is living fun and fancy free. And Hiram says to her, it's going to be our anniversary. And Ruth is like, we didn't talk about anniversaries. Yeah. She really, it seems like in that moment is leaning into the idea, like, I'm not ready to be serious about something. Yeah. Although then by the end of the episode, it seems like she has abandoned that and decided she's all in on Hiram. I don't know. I thought that was such an interesting, I thought that was a very good misdirection where we think that Claire, so what happens is that David gets high. Nope. Yes. David gets, he goes out and parties. He gets ecstasy pills. He stupidly puts them in an Advil bottle where there are other white pills. Right. And they were just in his pocket. It's like you can put them back in your pocket. You can keep them in the pocket or like in your little upstairs, whatever. So he puts them in the bottle. We think Claire takes one because we see her take an Advil. But then Ruth is the one who actually ends up getting high as a kite, just rolling for days and like walks out into the middle of the woods like a Greek nymph and is like, everything smells wonderful. She literally hugs a tree. She literally hugs a tree. So I guess this is the first time that Ruth also really contemplates when is the end? Yes. Also, we found out Ruth is a Scorpio. Interesting. What 
Do you associate? Give a reading. Interesting. Oh, my God. Do Ruth's chart. Her being kind of like sexually free pulls as a Scorpio because they want to make out with everybody. Um, But she's a little uptight and she's not. Scorpios are like extremely gregarious and really charming, but can be very vindictive. You know, they got the little pinchers in the tail. The sequence that you were just describing where she has her jaunt in the woods in in the godlight. Mm-hmm. You said out loud, I love this. I do. I, I love did. this. And it was not only the first moment I have heard you express delight about one of the fanciful sequences in the show, which usually you don't like mm-hmm. for good reason, mm-hmm. but also it was the first time it seemed like you felt a, a sort of warmth towards Ruth. Absolutely. I'm glad that Ruth took the chill pill she needed. It does give you this, like, your pupils dilate and everything is vibrant and colorful and just every sense is heightened. I'm not condoning using drugs. I'm not condoning using drugs. So I just really loved that. I think mostly what I enjoyed was that I was so surprised by it. It was such a good misdirection. I think when the bear happened, I was like, okay, this is a little too much. But (laughs) I loved... I loved us seeing how she was really feeling because I didn't think it was so over the top. Like, that's true. It there was, was all not this interesting extreme. lighting, and it was just her feeling wonderful and wanting to sniff flowers and put them in her hair and make a daisy chain. That's true. You know, I, as we're talking about this, I'm comparing it or contrasting rather the sequence from a few episodes back where Claire, a spotlight appears and she's all of a sudden wearing oh, a jazz gown and singing. I know, that was ridiculous. I think the difference between what worked about the Ruth sequence and what didn't work about the Claire one is this version of Ruth, we've seen little glimmers of. Mm-hmm. And I buy that when she lets her subconscious off the leash, this is what happens. Totally. Whereas with Claire... It felt like all of a sudden we I were I don't see seeing... a Bernadette Peters and Claire. Right. Even though they're both redheads. Like, I don't see that jazz hands drama, I love life, I'm gonna, you know, like, sing an operetta. Like, I don't see that. Right. Whereas... Claire fantasizing about exploding her teacher's head, that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. I think you're right. I think that this was just more seamlessly in character. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I loved it. And I did. I did like that. At the end, she was like, yes, this is what I want. I think she's really craving to have that, like, oh, my God, those early days when you're in love with somebody. Ugh. Ugh. I don't know what that's like, but (laughs) I know that it looks good. (laughs) Well, I hope you find it again one day. I do, too. Um, Before we move off of Ruth, one other thing I was really struck by in this one was at the very end, Claire comes down, she gets the two water bottles from the fridge, and then she goes back upstairs. She says, we buried my friend's brother today. She goes back upstairs. And Ruth says to David, you can't protect your children from everything. And it occurred to me, Ruth, it seems like, and I don't fault her for this, I can imagine this is an assumption I would make about parenting too, but she views the primary responsibility of parenting as protection, not necessarily Mm. connecting. Totally. It seems like a lot of the show is about 
her kids moving away from a space of self-protection and in towards a place of connection. That's totally right because I she was standing there with two water bottles in her hand and I was like no one's comforting her. Yes, like, you said that as it was happening. Like that's what she's looking for. That was on her face is like she wants and both David and Ruth were kind of clueless. They just froze. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that sucks." Yeah. At least my family knows to like comfort each other. Right. You know, like Claire was kind of alone out there. She was a little lonely island. And then of course, what does Claire do in the immediate next scene? And then scene? she goes comforts and she goes and comforts someone else. Yeah. Let me pull I want to think about how did the person die? This kid got shot in the face. So what are the things that just like accidentally shot himself in the face? Accidentally shot himself in the face. So what are the other things that just got shot in the face this episode? Because I think that David and his reckoning with death got shot in the face a little bit. His relationship with Kurt sort of blows up in his face. Oh, wait, sorry. Did I say David? I meant Nate. Yes. Mm. Well, I think I think what gets shot in the face for David is this idea that, like, I'm this cool party boy. You know, like, I'm not going to be this cool party boy. I am a serious person. I right. fucking bury dead people. Like, yeah. I don't have a lighthearted job. Right. I can't pretend. I can't pretend. So I think that dancing, clubbing, ecstasy taking, like, that's just not him. And what else got shot And in the Keith face? sees it before David realizes it. Yeah, probably. Keith sees him dancing and he's Keith says to his new guy, let's get out of here. I, like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Because he doesn't want to see that. And then it's a few moments after that that David discovers Kurt with the making out with the blonde haired guy. I wanted a threesome, but I'm fine we didn't get it. <laughs> I'm glad Ruth got laid. There were a lot of hard pivots in this one. Hard pivots. A lot of whiplash. My neck really hurts. I think it pivoted almost directly from the scene of the intake with Gabe's brother to David at the gay club. Or, or yeah, there was one really hard pivot where I was like, this is totally different. Something that extreme. Or maybe it was the, the dinner scene with Billy. Ooh, the dinner oh, scene with Billy. The dinner scene. Fucking Billy's an asshole. The encroachment of Billy continues. That's a really good title for something. <laughs> Two things about that scene. One, I liked it as a small thing, cinematographically, when Brenda is standing in the kitchen, she's just gotten the beers out of the fridge, and she says the really lovely sentiment that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. about we don't even have a name for what it means to lose a child. Mm-hmm. When she says, when you lose a parent, blah, 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 we call you a this. And when she says lose a parent, it cuts to first Billy and then Nate's faces mm. because they both have very fraught relationships with their parents. Billy and Brenda, I feel like, metaphorically lost their parents, maybe never had them. Mm-hmm. And Nate just lost his father. Nate just lost his father. So I just thought that was a nice... We didn't need to hear anything from them, but it was this interesting way that the show was recognizing that Brenda sees something very deep about both of them. Mm. And then also, we have been talking in recent episodes about how Brenda is a little bit lying to Nate about things, especially yeah. when it comes to Billy. Yeah. And and as we discussed, possibly with Connor in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. 
who just to talk about it because we didn't get to talk about it oh, yeah. in the broadcast last week calls Brenda lollies, which I think is such an appropriately gross, ridiculous nickname for him to have for I her. I think that's like an Australian pet name. Oh, it is. Okay. Sorry to our Australian listeners. You malolies over there. Hello. We'll be releasing Tuesday bonus episodes where we recite the entire podcast again with Australian accents. LOLOL. But actually, <laughs> can we? That I. It's hard for me to imagine <laughs> a larger waste of time for a human being <laughs> than to listen to us read a transcript of one of these episodes in an Austra- I mean, in a bad Australian accent, yep. having already listened to the episode once through, which yep. thank you for doing so. Yep. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, but so get, to get back to Brenda's lying, when Billy starts spouting off about death traditions for children in other cultures. Oh, my God. Which is v- super tin-eared and rude in the moment yeah. that Nate is expressing vulnerability about what he's just been through. There's this interesting thing that happens where Brenda kind of lovingly takes Nate's wrist, but then she looks at Billy while he's talking about this with this kind of wide-eyed, encouraging, open-hearted graciousness. She really seems to welcome what he's saying. Hmm. And then as soon as he finishes saying it, she turns to Nate and like kind of rolls her eyes and says like, well, that was educational. Yeah. Like she's she's really playing both sides. And she has to. I feel for her cuz she's really for, stuck between both yeah. of them. I think her relationship with Billy is so based off of protection because she is she is the emotional atlas for both of them, you know, carrying it mm-hmm. on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um so she kind of has to placate him a little bit. And I think she does notice how ridiculous Billy is, you know? So she's able to kind of pivot and be like, oh, that was a lot, you know? So I just thought, I think Billy is so pugnacious and his whole like, oh, why don't you know all of these death facts? Right. And unwell, we we have to always remind ourselves. I know. I know. I think I'm just, he's such a good, bad character that I'm like, I hate you. And it's like my little lizard brain is like, enemy you know so right right i get it i get that you're sick that's you know well but to your point about brenda being the emotional atlas which is that should be a title for something one of the things i think we see in this episode because we have been unkind to her in previous episodes about the fact that she is unwilling to hold emotional space for nate true and i think what we realize in this episode and what nate starts to realize is that her way of doing that is to play these little impish games. Hmm. I.e. to do this series Let's of role plays. Every funeral director in the Los Angeles area and see how well they do their job. Like that's a fucked up game. And it of course brought to mind the scene where she lures David and Nate onto the bus oh. that killed their father. Yeah. But in her way, these are she's someone who is used to having her emotions she kinda holds, manipulated and toyed yeah. with. So in this weird way, this is how she, she knows to show up for people. She makes space in physical spaces. That's good. It's, I guess, her grieve language. Yeah. That's how she helps people process. Is like, well, let's go to these places and let's be very interactive with it. She's not someone who like 
unlike Claire, like you can't just lie on her lap and cry. Right. So. Yeah, I think that would. Brenda's a little bit more of a woman of action. She would not know what to do with that. But I think in this episode, for the first time, Nate realized that even if he doesn't always like that she does it that way, that there is a value in it to him and he gets something from it. Yeah, I think it really gets under his skin. But I think it makes him feel something. Like, this is not an emotionless or boring relationship by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, although I will say... That's how I want you to feel all the time. Oh, mission accomplished. Great. If the journey as we were talking about before, of all the characters in this is from protection to connection. Mm. Nate is being given the biggest run for his money of anybody by Brenda. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Also, last thing, I liked that Nikolai makes fun of Hiram's electric car because the actor who plays Hiram in real life is a very big environmental advocate. So I thought that was a funny little jaunty tip of the cap on the part of the show to the real-life important work of Mr. Ed Begley Jr. Interesting. I think that Nikolai was just like, I'm looking for something to make fun of this dude, and I'm trying to emasculate him, and I'm pretending that he's driving in a tiny car. Yes. I mean, that's one of the things I liked about it is... More of a cockpaw. It was a cheeky... A witch now? You know, a cockpaw. I don't know that, that idiom. It's like if I, I literally just made it up. <laughs> I, I hope that like when people want to make t-shirts out of our show, that cockpaw is, <laughs> is the first t-shirt that they want to have printed and they boast around on their shirt. I am loving the imagined moment that I'm having right now where somebody's walking down the street in a t-shirt that says cockpaw. <laughs> and somebody reads it and goes, your family goes excuse me? You're a cockpaw. And Just a little cockball. This person then says, oh, it's from a podcast I listen to. It's about the TV show Six Feet Under. <laughs> <laughs> and the other person's like, what? A cockball is like another guy yanking, like just kind of like diddling his other, like another dude. Like it's very locker room. Do you know what I mean? Of just like, I'm yanking at your penis because I know that I can. Have, does that? I've never been in a male <laughs> locker room. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> This is all based on my imagination. Sexual fantasy. <laughs> and and um, consumption of TV shows. <laughs> and what locker room locker rooms are like. Well, friends, that will do it for this episode oh. of Fisher Family Ghosts. Thank you, as always, for being here. Thank you, guys. Please leave a review in Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what we do here. Please rate and review us. If, Honestly, you can be honest. But if, I will hunt you down if you give us the one. <laughs> I think one person gave us the one because they were like, these two chit-chat too much. Which is how I feel about TV. Imagine recap. chit-chat on a podcast. Fuck the audacity. People. If you would like to chastise us for our audacity, you can send us an email. FFG at W-A-L-T dot F-M. This Sterling Audio product is not the only Sterling Audio product that Adrian and I create. So my podcast is called Strangers Abroad. It is a narrative travel podcast. So if you want to mentally travel for an hour and listen to a whole slew of different stories, I interview people who have traveled and I also tell my own narrative stories. But take a listen. It's Strangers Abroad and I'm coming out with a new season in a few months. 
As for me, I too have another podcast. It is called Family Ghosts. And we are in the midst of our all new fourth season. If I have the count right, we just recently released the third episode in our opening trilogy, which covers the mysterious disappearance of a body in Curtis Bay, Maryland, and the emotional and psychological journey that the daughter of the man who disappears goes on in her attempt to rid what she describes as the poison of that experience from her system. I realize I just made it sound very heavy. It is a very heavy story. It is. But it's got a lot of really thrilling twists and turns, and Kate, who tells the story, is eloquent, thoughtful, and incredibly brave. It's so good. Thanks, boo. It is really good, guys. So, take a listen. You can find it by searching for Family Ghosts wherever you are listening to this. Thank you.